Hi, I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So, it is the month of March 2021, and it is once again time for our monthly Tales from the Shelf a special episode, uh, wherein we take a look at our uh, respective physical media uh, catalogs or libraries or whatever you want to call them and just to share a few war stories about the collecting process <laughs> uh and here <laughs> here in joining me in this endeavor i have a regular collaborator of ours and very good friend of the show uh brad from the cinema speak podcast how's it going brad oh it, it's going excellent i gotta say i don't want to hype this episode too much but i'm coming in flying on another level i'm i've got so much coffee in me I just recorded a little bonus episode of uh, my show where we talked about WandaVision, and it got heated. I had some hot takes, so I'm coming in at another level. I don't know if—I hope I can sustain this energy. This could be one of the craziest tales from the shelves we've done yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what I like to hear. I mean, I could see you vibrating in your seat as soon as you sat down from the webcam. So, uh, like I said, I want to keep that heat want to keep that heat train rolling uh so let's keep the the hype levels through the roof and uh let's get into this so uh brad uh had the pick um for the theme this month and being as he's the most hyped individual in the room at this moment i think it's only fair that he introduced said theme so brad what was the theme you selected for this month we are talking blind buys this month which uh if you don't know a blind buy, at least by my definition of a blind buy, is a movie that you buy that you have not seen. So, you know, you're going in blind when you watch it. You're putting it on your shelf. You're purchasing it without having seen the film. So there's always a little bit of a gamble there. You could end up hating it. That's the fun of the blind buy. So uh, we're going to highlight some movies that we've purchased before we've even seen them. And most of the ones I grabbed I have since watched so i can talk about the movies a little bit but there's some that i have here that i still have not watched um which could be the case for quite a bit of the films in my collection (laughs) no shame no shame brad but um yeah actually this was a a clarifying point that i had for you like literally 30 seconds before we started recording was like what is your your definition for blind buy because um as it so happens my my personal definition for that phrase it's the same as yours, but I could totally see someone spinning it, some asshole uh, spinning it and being like some persnickety person out there spinning it and being like, no, it's it's got to be something you know nothing about. Like you didn't even know the title. You didn't know the cover art. You didn't know who was in it. You just grabbed it off the shelf and walked out of the store with it, uh, hopefully paying for it in the process. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like uh, over the course of the discussion, uh, we actually may touch on some things that fit that description. So we'll we'll get to those when we get to them. But uh, Brad, seeing as you had the pick for this month, I think it's only fair that you uh, get us rolling. So uh, what would be your first uh, blind buy for this month's Tales from the Shelf? All right. Well, you know, there's uh, a few levels of blind buys, I guess. You know, you could go in and we'll get into this a little bit, I'm sure, where it's a at least for me, I, bu- I buy some movies I've never seen before, buy them almost solely on the reputation of the label, like the label that distributes them. 
Um, and I'll get into some of those. Sometimes you buy them based on the strength of the filmmaker. So it's maybe a filmmaker you like. You haven't seen this film, so you don't know if you're going to like it. Still a blind buy, even if you've seen some of the other filmmakers' work. Um, and that's this is one of those cases for me. I am going to highlight a film from Mr. Dario Argento, which I feel like I've talked about a lot of his films on the this uh, program here. I don't think I've talked about this one. Maybe I have. I, maybe you have, I don't know. But I'm going to highlight opera, Dario, Dario Argento's opera, which um, certainly is not my favorite of his films, but it is still quite good. It's uh, it's uh, Giallo from the 80s, uh, late 80s, actually. So we're kind of getting kind of the tail end of his, uh, you know, the height of his career. And I, I was kind of looking because I knew I was going to talk about this one. He had a run there from, like, Deep Red to Suspiria, which is kind of not really a giallo, but then uh, Inferno, Tenebrae, Phenomena, and I think Opera is kind of what a lot of people say is his last great giallo. I haven't seen a lot of his stuff in the 90s, but I've just heard by reputation it's not the greatest. Um, So for a lot of people, this might be, like, his last really good film. Um, And it is is a good giallo. I I think I had some issues with, like, the script. I thought there was some goofy stuff with the script I wasn't crazy about when I watched it. But it's definitely got some memorable moments. And certainly, maybe it's because it's on the cover and all the posters, but the uh, the eye, the, the eye torture where they uh, the killer takes the main girl and, like, um, takes these needles, or I guess they're more like just pins. They're pins, and he tapes them right in front of her eye. So it's like her eyeball is, like, nearly slicing itself open on these pins. Very creepy, very cool little torture moment there that uh, stands out. And... Um, I would definitely buy more Dario Argento films. I've considered purchasing some of his lesser-known works, which would be another another blind buy. Um, so, uh, but yeah, this that one definitely still is him when he's maybe not quite at the height of his career, but he's he's just coming coming down off that high just a little bit. But still worth checking out if you're a fan of his work. All righty. Well, uh, two questions come to mind, Brad. Uh, first one is who printed the disc. Good God, I can't believe I almost forgot to mention that. How embarrassing. It's uh, Scorpion. Scorpion put it out. Oh, I'm, I'm glad I asked then, because that's a, that's a publisher I, I don't own anything from. Um, mm-hmm. I've always been curious, because their catalog seems uh, really interesting, actually. Like, they have their fair share of, like, garbage flicks, but they also have some prestige, like, horror titles and stuff in there as well. Yeah, and uh, I know with this one, I kind of stopped following the release of it after I bought it. Um, there was rumor or maybe it was confirmed that there was going to be like an even more like a huge collector's edition of this coming from them. And uh, I know a lot of people on Blu-ray.com in the forums. If you go in there, I, I'm always hanging out in there. You can say hi to me if you see me in there. Um, a lot of people were saying, I don't know if I should get this release or if I should get the super special edition. And they were like, blah, blah. And eventually people were like, listen, this super special edition, who knows when the hell it's even going to come out. And I don't think it's come out. So I'm glad I bought this, even though. I mean, it's it's not bare bones. I mean, there's not a ton of special features. Um, you got an interview with Dario Argento. Uh, that's an old interview, I think. A brand new interview with William McNamara. A two, 2K scan. I mean, you know, this is it's a good release. Uh, it's not, like, packed to the gills. But definitely, it's a good release. And I have no idea. I have not checked the forum of Dario Argento's opera since I bought the movie. So I don't know what's going on with that super special edition. 
Okay. I, I might have to check on that after we finish recording. But um, I don't know if this is related, being as I don't know if uh, Scorpion is a U.S.-based company. Um, but I, I did actually read earlier today that um, I think it's polybicarbonate uh, plastics. are There's a shortage at the moment because of COVID, um, because of the the syringe production uh, oh. uses the same materials as blu-ray disc production so uh certain disc printers are encountering some issues with fulfillment right now Ooh, ouch um, so that super duper special edition may may be a while before it gets to you but um second question <laughs> who does the music for opera that is a good is question. it goblin <laughs> um, <laughs> that's my guess i don't know <laughs> who does do the music it is not listed on the back of the Blu-ray. The proper question is: Is the is the soundtrack rocking? Like, is it does it slap like a lot of uh, some other Jello flicks do? I gotta be honest. I don't remember the soundtrack, so maybe it wasn't. Let me see if I. Can... Ouch! For it's called opera. You would think that the music would be <laughs> key to it. Let me see here. There are five composers listed. God damn! One of is them is Oliver. On- is Oliver Onions one of them? <laughs> one of them is Brian Eno. Um, oh, nice. Claudio Simonetta. I don't know if he's Simonetti. He might be a member of Goblin. That's where that's where it gets confusing for me when there he starts just picking out the individual members of Goblin and he just has like them do the score and that's when it gets like. I can't remember who does the score for what, um, but I don't remember the score for this. That might just be on me. I have a bad memory, but um, yeah. well, I'm sure some of those start to blend together at some point, but um, interesting that there's eye trauma in there. I always thought of that as Fulci's thing, right? Yeah, he, um, he's definitely known for it. I don't know. Maybe maybe Dario Argento was trying to one-up him potentially. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. I'll show you eye trauma. <laughs> When did uh when when did Fulci die? Maybe this was like right after he died, and Dario Argento was like, "Finally, I can do some eye stuff myself." <laughs> he he no longer has the eye trauma market co- cornered in a in the horror world. I I have no idea when he died. He, but, he was still um, alive. Just he, an he was alive for another seven years. So that, that that's not the case. That's not the case. Okay. Well, even though you're not exactly like you know making a hard sell with, with this uh with this opera film um i will say that i became aware of it um through the the in search of darkness documentary series uh it's uh they have two at the moment i guess they're trying to secure financing for a third um damn i don't know how you can do 12 hours of horror documentary and not run out of material um i will say i think the first one was better um, but mm-hmm. the second one they did dump a lot of time and effort into trying to explore more international horror um in the 80s um and that would include italian giallo and stuff and they did spotlight opera at one point and the few clips they had in there um it jumped out at me it looked like one that i might want to check out but um i'm I'm still working on that brad because you do bring up these movies very frequently when we do these collaborations and i still haven't really dove into the world of giallo proper so Maybe maybe that'll be the one. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Hey, if you guys ever do a, a month on it, I think that would be that'd be a lot of fun. I think you could do uh, 
pick out a few good ones and highlight a few giallo movies for a month no i'd, I'd love to do that with you brad um because i i know kyle has an appreciation for it and it, it would all be new to me so it'd be really easy for me to catch up on my giallo in fact that would probably be the name of the fucking event month <laughs> giallo <laughs> january <laughs> giallo january hey i like the sound of that let's do it <laughs> but anyway i guess the uh the ball is to me uh so um and a part of the reason I make poor Brad go first a lot of times when we do these collaborations is so I can piggyback off of him when it comes to like theming the episode. So um, he did one from a well-known director and it was a blind buy for him. So I will do a blind buy from a somewhat well-known director. Um, and that would be uh, Razorback or right Razorback from a uh, director Russell Mulcahy from Australia so Razorback um, it's a it's a movie about a giant boar um, and this was Russell Mulcahy's first film so the same uh, Russell Mulcahy who would give us the Highlander movies at least the first two um, I'm sure the quickening is something he'd really love to take off of his filmography being as it's often regarded as one of the worst sequels of all time worst and most expensive for that matter um and he also did i think the third resident evil movie and the uh, uh alec baldwin the shadow movie from i think it was 94 which didn't do so hot but it had so much marketing money behind it that like everybody was aware of it however i don't think anyone was especially happy with it um but anyway, this movie Razorback, um, I got this on Blu-ray from, I believe, an Australian disc publisher um, called Umbrella uh, Entertainment. And I bought this uh, along with the uh, the Punisher, the Dolph Lundgren Punisher, I think from 89 or 88, um, because I was, uh, I don't know, for some reason I was exploring Australian disc publishers and it just so happened I noticed that both of those movies were available there. And I was like, oh, well, I want both of those. Um, especially since that was the only way to get like the fully unrated cut of the Dolph Lundgren Punisher film. I've actually talked about on the show, on the show before, but, uh, Razorback is a curiosity because I, I'd heard the name tossed around. Um, Brad and I often talk about, um, eat-em-ups or, uh, animal attack movies. Oh, yeah. And, uh, this was one that I had seen thrown out there in discussions about this topic every once in a while, but it never really got much praise or much spotlight like this is not a movie that you see tons of reviews on like youtube or on like bad movie websites and stuff um however in recent days uh, i think steven spielberg and quentin tarantino's names have been attached to it as people who were inspired by it or uh very appreciative of it i think uh steven spielberg looked at it as like oh this is this is an evolution of jaws and i appreciate the effort and even tarantino looked at it and said i i think it's a cool movie um i think it's grossly uneven <laughs> um the the animal attack aspect of it is unfortunately a little uh, uh handicapped like it's a little bit lame where it's not very gory this disc does include um some uncut like violent scenes and even uncut, they're not particularly violent. Um, but there, there is an early attack scene wherein the giant boar attacks a woman in a car that's actually pretty savage, um, even though you don't see a whole lot. Just the energy of it. It actually does kind of feel like the T-Rex tearing up the Ford Explorer in, a, in the first Jurassic Park film. Um, but the real star of the show um, is, is just the cinematography and the lighting. 
Um, Russell Mulcahy has no clue about how to manage a, a pace or a story, um, but he can give you some great-ass shots. Um, and if you look up just screenshots of this movie, there are some incredible sunsets and vistas and, like, and like uh, foggy forests and, and like, smoked-up factories and stuff that absolutely look stunning. Um, but that's not why you watch an animal attack movie these are all things that's like i appreciate it i i I think it's good filmmaking in that sense um but it doesn't really deliver the goods when it comes to like the the monster business and stuff but um this was a movie that i just i don't know i i pulled the trigger on um it was just the right the right time um i'm I'm glad to own it like it is kind of neat because it's actually not easy to come by in this country anyway um but I don't know, Brad. Maybe maybe it's one you'd want to check out, being as you know, animal attack movies work seemingly the same way they do for me, uh, for you. So, yeah, I, I'm definitely very intrigued by it. Um, you know, I love when boars attack and eat people. You know, love Hannibal. Love that aspect of uh, Hannibal. Um, but uh, call down, <laughs> call down. <laughs> and I did. I did look uh, up and. Um, you know, I don't know if I would make this a blind buy for me, but I did look. It is uh, available to rent on Apple for just a uh, one ninety nine. So I'm that is like a blind rent. Like that's that's nothing. Um, but I, I do have to say I'm I'm quite jealous of your collection because you have a lot of uh, you know international uh, releases where mine I think is I I'm unless I'm forgetting something. It's pretty much exclusively north america only and i mean you know in some ways usa usa (laughs) (laughs) well in some ways i do like that because it is you know it's it's clean you know you don't have any of those uk style ratings on the the spine which are gross i hate those um yeah, but yeah, I I know exactly what you're talking about the 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 orange yeah. or the orange or red uh, circle uh, yeah um eyesore but I think <laughs> I might eventually I think it's time I got to open up the borders I got to open up the borders and let the let, let the Blu-rays flood in I got to turn this into a real melting pot right now it's a little little plain um not that it's plain but you know we got to get a few international releases really spice things up. Well, I'd like to see you do that, Brad. Um, although I I don't know how best to advise you in doing that, uh, because for me this was something I got started at doing from a very early age, and I don't know. It, my my lens has always kind of been focused at like overseas movies um, mm-hmm. over the years, uh, so it's come very naturally to me. But um, I I don't know how how I would best advise you to do that. Um, there are because because the Blu-ray region format. Um, is a little bit more lenient than the DVD system was. Um, there are a lot of international releases that will work on, you know, your standard North American Blu-ray player. And like like we talked about before, 4K is just Thunderdome, no yeah. rules. Um, um, <laughs> so uh, it's easier than ever to, to import discs is what I'm getting at. And I, I don't know if you own anything from this uh, company, but Indicator, I believe they're based out of the U.K., and uh, mm-hmm. they have put out some good releases from what I know. And I don't know if they're all region-free, but I know some of their Blu-rays, and I think most to all, are region-free, which makes it easy to just, you know, buy here in North America and you just, you know, got to pay for, you know, the cost of getting it here. But, um, like, I know they have uh, Paul Schrader's Hardcore, which uh, came out through them. 
definitely uh, curious to watch that. Um, I've seen about half of it. Uh, I watched half of it in a college class that had nothing to do with film. I don't know why we watched the first 45 minutes of hardcore. We watched until George C. Scott uh, saw his daughter in the porno, and that's when we stopped watching. I don't know why we watched the first four. I don't know what was going on there. But uh, anyway, so I do want to watch that full movie because I was loving it. I was like, you know, I was loving it, and then he sees his daughter in the porno, and he flips out, and the professor was like, okay, that's enough, kids. And I was like, I want to – let's finish it. Let's go. And so Indicator might be my first international – blu-ray purchase from them yeah i'm sorry you you do not cut the film when george c scott is flipping out no um that's that's why you pay to see the film i'm sorry but that that's that's what the man does and he does it exceedingly well <laughs> it's like oh my god my daughter <laughs> man getting hit by football ah, my groin <laughs> <laughs> It's one of my favorite moments from The Simpsons when I was a kid. <laughs> Man getting hit by football starring George C. Scott. <laughs> it's great. Um, but good. to answer your question, um, no, actually, I, I have not heard of Indicator. Uh, I'll have to look them up, though, because uh, uh, the UK, actually, I have encountered some issues with uh, finding discs that were, you know, proper region. Well, not proper, but uh, region A. <laughs> I don't want to make this a completely U.S. centric podcast, but uh, there actually was a disc um, from the U.K. that came out recently that I I had a ah shucks moment uh, where uh, it turned out to be a Region B release, and I was really hoping it wouldn't be. Um, it was a uh, Gangs of London, um, which is a TV series. I think it might just be a, a one and done, which is pretty common as far as I understand in the U.K., where uh, limited series are fairly common. I like that. I really like that yeah. format. <laughs> it's like, I don't like being strung along. It's like, if you have a complete thought that you can put out there and just be done with, then just fucking do it. <laughs> don't tease a sequel, like, if there's no point to it. But uh, it's directed by uh, Gareth. I always get these fuckers confused. It's Garrett. It's like Is it the Garrett Go- Godzilla Evans guy or the Raid guy? It's the Raid guy. <laughs> Gareth Evans. Yes, yes. It's it's like Garrett Edwards and Gareth Evans, I think. It's like fuck both of you. Although I do like both of them. Yeah, they are both good. But yeah. it's the raid guy. Okay. And I've heard it's really good and uh, I've been trying to find a way to watch it, but it's like locked down in the UK right now. Like as far as I understand, I think it was available on like like HBO but only in the UK or something. Mm. And finally they put out a Blu-ray of it and it's like eh, region B. And I'm like fuck. <laughs> like what now it's like well maybe cross your yeah i have to just cross my fingers and hope that it finds its way over to our hbo someday maybe yeah i i would think it probably would at some point that's surprising especially with uh mr evans uh you know he's pretty i mean the raid films were pretty popular over here uh you know you think his name would have enough cachet to it that someone would want to get it out over here well, my brother texted me like about a month ago. Um, apparently, Gareth Evans is doing a movie with Tom Hardy um, that sounds pretty awesome on paper. So maybe when the promotional hype train for that gets rolling, maybe they'll put out the series to like promote it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see. Fingers crossed. But anyway, uh, that's enough about Razabic. Um How about you, Brad? What's a, what's your next blind buy? 
Well, should I just jump right into the the big the heavy hitter right now? I think I should just do it. Like you know, you want to get nuts? I don't. Come on, let's get nuts. Let's get nuts. I don't want to keep building up to it and then it not be as big as I'm thinking. Like let's just let's just go. Let's just do it. Um, Now I've got I've got three movies here. I don't know which one I'll specifically highlight. But when it comes to the blind buy, at least for me, I know I don't think you have too many in your collection. But for me, when it comes to the blind buy. Criterion is king. Let's just say it again. Criterion is king. Because like we've said, you've said over and over, if it's coming out on Criterion, it's worth watching for some reason. So I would say overall, I was trying to think like, I would probably say 60-40 of my purchases are blind buys. I would probably lean that. I would say more blind buys than not. Um, But when it comes to Criterion, I would say we're going like, we're going 80-20 probably. I mean, the majority of things, that maybe even 90-10, the majority of what I buy from them, I have not seen. Um, so I've got a few here. Let's just go, I'll, I'll, I'll just list them off quick. I've, I've got Do the Right Thing, which is one that I had wanted to see for, you know, a long time. It's one of the, you know, movies like, oh, you got to see, it's a classic. And I watched it recently. It was amazing. It was as good, if not better, than I was expecting. Super timely, but just incredibly entertaining. Loved it. Um, this one right here, uh, which I haven't watched in a few years, so I'm a little uh, removed from it. It is, a, I believe it is a French movie. It's called Rafifi, and this is a heist movie. And it did, uh, when, when my show, we did our top 100 movies of all time. This one was in my top 100 somewhere. Real, Just a great classic heist movie kind of a noir-esque um the heist is very suspenseful and it's noted for being almost like a silent heist because they're they're breaking into like a jewel store and they have to be extremely quiet because like the alarm can pick up any sound so there's like no score it's just them kind of like trying to lower themselves or however they do it into the the jewelry store and it's very intense, very well done. But even after the heist, because that's only like halfway through the movie, and then the rest of the movie is like the fallout from the heist where one of them starts blabbing or something or he's spending too much money and he, he gets caught. Somehow then it like all spirals out of control. All that is great as well. It's an awesome movie. And then uh, this one, which uh, certainly I know you uh, have seen, um, and I just recently watched as a blind buy not too long ago. Um, it is Jackie Chan's police story and police story Two, which, uh, I really did not. I had not seen many Jackie Chan movies. I certainly had not seen, I don't think any of his Hong Kong movies before watching this. And this came out and it was kind of like, all right, this is out on Blu-ray. This seems like a good place to kind of really, start getting into his filmography, and from there I've watched quite a few Jackie Chan movies in the last year. I've had a lot of fun going through his filmography. Um, I I think I would say Police Story is still probably my favorite of his that I've seen. Um, I think just the overall package of it I think is probably the best. Um, There are certain moments from other movies of his that I think stand out maybe above Police Story, but I think just overall as a film... Police Story is probably my favorite of his. I wasn't, like, super crazy about Police Story 2, but it was still good. Um, And, of course, with Criterion, you know, you're going to get an awesome transfer. Loads of bonus features. The packaging is always amazing. Um, Really, you can't go wrong. But these were 
several blind buys that really just knocked my socks off. Because there's, there, you know, there's a few blind buys from Criterion. You watch them and you're like, oh, you know, it was good. Didn't blow me away. But uh, these ones all blew me away to a certain degree. Um, and they are all ones that I, uh, I have come to love. And I had not seen them when I watched, when I purchased them. Yeah, uh, it sounds like maybe you and Kyle have like a similar uh, mindset when it comes to the Criterion Collection. Because uh, Kyle, like he he does he owns movies for sure, but um, he doesn't have like a gigantic collection like you or I. Um, so he's a little bit more judicious when it comes to spending his money on you know physical media and whatnot. But um, in recent days, I guess like he's been going about things where um, he actually doesn't really like to buy movies that he's seen before, um, and he likes to make a sure bet. Um, so most of his movies purchased these days are Criterion because Mm -hmm. like, like you had said, and like we always say, like if it's in the Criterion collection, it's probably worth your time. And if, if you're looking for a sure bet when it comes to a blind buy, absolutely go with Criterion. You'll probably learn a thing or two and it'll probably be a fantastic movie. But, um, I think it's really awesome that the, the cover for police story has a broken pane of glass. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, the shopping mall sequence, I think, uh, got, gave that portion of the, the movie uh, the nickname The House of Glass or something. Because <laughs> the number of candy glass windows shattered in that sequence and, like, the light bulbs and stuff oh, is just awesome. absolutely insane. Yeah, the, the sliding down the pole with the lights is so good. So good. Oh, yeah, I guess he got all burned and fucked up doing that. But, you know, it was Jackie Chan in the 80s. He was unstoppable. But... Um, yeah, I, th- I agree with you. The second one's not nearly up to the same standard. Although I think the the playground sequence is still pretty awesome. That's a highlight but, for sure. Um, I think, I think the first one. Um, I don't know if it's still true, but for a long time, I think it was like his personal favorite of his films. Um, so, I I think Kyle actually was wanting to do a Jackie Chan month at some point. So may, we may end up talking about Police Story at some point. I hopefully uh, we don't do the whole Police Story like like sequel collection because uh they get pretty raggedy towards the end there <laughs> <laughs> like like three or super cop or whatever you want to call it is is great it's phenomenal mm-hmm. um i think uh i think they retitled it super cop here and that's the one that has the the finale that you were just like showering with praise the the highlight of cinema it is so good <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is some pretty hardcore fucking shit yeah. it's it's amazing but um, that one's fantastic, um, but when you get into like new police story, and uh, I think they called it like police story lockdown or something. Um, it's it's in China. It's just called police story twenty thirteen. But that movie's like uh, unsettling in some awkward ways, where it's yeah. it's like a different kind of movie. And there's only like one legit fight sequence in the entire thing. The rest of it is just like Die Hard without any of the cool stuff. Eesh. So it's like a hostage movie. And then there's one random cage fight in there. It's like, why is there a cage fight in this hostage movie? <laughs> it's like, what? I mean, I'm, I, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that should be in every every movie at some point. You could have a rom-com <laughs> that just has a random cage fight in the middle. I'd, I'd be very happy with that, but it just didn't fit. Yeah. Um, I think it was just like a consequence of bringing Jackie Chan into the project where it's just expected that it's like, okay, he's like, you know, 58 or 60 or something. He's still got to hit somebody, though. <laughs> it's like, not necessarily, but I get I get it. You know, you're trying to market the damn film. But um, Rafifi, I'm curious if uh, 
I mean, I haven't even seen a single image from this movie. It's just the cover that you showed me and the description. But I'm curious, does like the, the first like Tom Cruise Mission Possible movie, does that sequence, like the, the vault sequence, bear any resemblance to the silent heist? Definitely could have been an influence now that you mention it. That didn't come to mind, but I definitely think that, yeah, I could see where that would have been an influence on De Palma for sure. Okay. Well, I... I, I've always liked the the first Mission Possible. I, I think it's a uh, underrated. Well, it's not even that it's underrated. It's just it's underseen mm-hmm. because there have been so many sequels, so many good sequels in between, where it's like I think people forget that the first movie and indeed almost all of the sequels up until like the fourth through the sixth one had a totally different vibe. That was actually part of what was really cool about that franchise was that each each at bat had a totally different look and feel to it until I think it was Brad Bird did the fourth one and it kind of standardized things after that where it's like okay the Christopher McQuarrie ones kind of have the same look and feel and a lot of common cast members Um, so it's kind of like the Fast and Furious franchise in that sense where they halfway through kind of figured out what the fuck they were trying to do (laughs) I I would even say I think there's a pretty not quite as strong as like you know comparing like a John Woo movie to a De Palma movie but even the Brad Bird Christopher McQuarrie like there's definitely where Brad Bird his is definitely more goofy Christopher McQuarrie it's he's a little more rough and tumble kind of thing a little more I guess meaty and masculine I guess like you know it definitely feels a little like a bit of a harder punch um, but I do agree. Like as much as I liked um, Rogue Nation and Fallout, both of them, it, it does kind of like man, they had their thing where it was like a different director every time, and then they brought McQuarrie back. And like I like Christopher McQuarrie, I've loved both those movies, but I do kind of wish they would have kept it going with a different director every time. But I mean, hey, Mission Impossible Fallout was great, so I can't complain too much. So yeah it really was a tremendous movie in a lot of ways but um yeah i'm I'm on the same page with you where it's like you know it, there was some novelty in there being differences between all the sequels and then out of nowhere you have two back-to-back that are really really similar in in tone and feel and stuff but mm-hmm. um what what country does rafifi come from or is it an american film i believe it is a french film i want to say uh okay. I, I could be wrong but i believe it is a french film <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, it's not the terribly important. In in French with English subtitles, yes, yes. Okay. Well, there you go. But, and of course, uh, do the right thing. Um, I unfortunately have not seen it. I know it by reputation, uh, much like you did when you blind bought it. Um, but everything you've been saying about it on on the Cin- Cinema Speak podcast uh, since you first watched it uh, really kind of suggests that I should probably get around to it, and probably soon, too, because it's getting kind of ridiculous. Uh, it's been <laughs> on my radar for ages, and it's like, just fucking bite the bullet and do it, Trevor. Don't be a baby. <laughs> You'll get there eventually. You'll get there eventually. Um, real quick, though, before we jump off the Jackie Chan bandwagon, and this is kind of unrelated to anything, but have you seen the movie Mr. Nice Guy, his movie Mr. Nice Guy? I have, yeah. I hope it's at least decent because I just bought it in the Warner Archive sale. <laughs> oh, um, I'm curious. Uh, I mean, you don't happen to have it handy, do you? No, uh, it hasn't come because... yet. I, ju- I just bought it this week. Okay, because uh, Mr. Nice Guy actually, funny enough, um, this has been a recurring theme on the sh- on Catching Up on Cinema for the past few weeks, uh, international cuts of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Nice Guy is one of those Jackie Chan movies that has an international cut and like the original Chinese version. Um, I want to say the Chinese version is 
better. I, I could be totally wrong, but I, I, I think it's a little bit longer. There's like expanded action sequences. Um, but the, the international cut of it's just fine. I think, uh, Richard Norton plays the bad guy in that one. He's a Australian fella that did a lot of TV work in the States. And, uh, he's like a, he's like a recurring element in a lot of uh, Hong Kong movies that call for a white guy to get knocked around mm-hmm. but he could keep up like like Sammo Hung really liked him Sammo Hung directed it and it also has a really hilarious cameo in that it's it's not even really a cameo it's just it's a running gag throughout the movie where it's you know rotund Sammo Hung in like a, a Lance Armstrong like biking outfit like skin tight and it's like purple and he keeps getting like hit by cars like while he's riding his bike and he just gets really pissed off and i think at one point he does get to cut loose on some people but he's just this like happy looking chubby guy riding his bike in like australia and he keeps like getting knocked on his ass by whatever like horde of people are chasing jackie chan or something and by the way that's your director but um yeah i remember mr nice guy being okay okay Um, cool it's it's not like an amazing jackie chan movie but it's serviceable it's Mm -hmm. it's fine I think in terms of like late '90s Jackie Chan movies, um, I mean the first Rush Hour is a lot of fun, um, but I think uh, Who Am I may have been one of my favorites. I think it. I don't know what year it came out in China, but I think it came out in the States in like '98, and uh, it's it's a fun one. I liked it a lot. Did that one have the rooftop fight where he's fighting two guys, or is that? Yes. Okay, that was yeah. I that was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean in terms of like jackie chan action that's like the meat of it is is the rooftop fight but it has that globe trotting feel to it that uh the armor of god movies the operation condor and armor of god and all those have where it's like he's almost like a secret agent um those are actually some of my favorites um mm-hmm. operation condor in particular is that's a great one it's that's like one nazi gold see. jackie chan <laughs> these things go together like peanut butter and chocolate <laughs> But okay, cool, yeah. Because I saw I was going through the Warner Archive sale and I saw a Jackie Chan movie and I said I got to get it. I just got to get it. So glad to know it wasn't a wasn't a total waste of money, but it was a good deal anyway. So wouldn't have been the worst. Thing yeah, I, I I think you'll be happy with it. Cool. I I don't think it's gonna be your new favorite, but you'll be you'll have fun with it. You know, it's a maybe a good date night movie because it's Jackie Chan. You know, it's yeah fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well I suppose the ball is to me. Uh, so, uh, I'm actually going to talk about a blind buy I did that is in the DVD format, the dreaded DVD format that, uh, Brad routinely shits on whenever we do this <laughs> show. <laughs> uh, so this movie, uh, I picked up when I pretty much like first went off to college. Um, and I, I was starting to dip my toes into Korean cinema around then. And, uh, this was one that I had the cover art uh, the reputation of the director who I had yet to see any of his films um, and a a lust for Korean cinema. That was all I had to work with um, when it came to guiding me to click the add to cart button on, on a website. Uh, so this would be uh, The City of Violence. And because this is a Korean DVD, it, it's a super duper special edition that has like a fold out what's it and like postcards and two discs and that is nice. all sorts that of goodies. Nice. I was about to say, Brad, um, you mentioned uh, branching out into international uh, film collecting. Um, If uh, bells and whistles and uh, packaging 
aesthetics appeal to you, uh, get on it. Because uh, Asia, they treat you well. <laughs> um, in fact, I have I have one here that I may not talk about, but at the very least, I'm gonna pause. I'm gonna pause the conversation just to you know show off what this what this beast looks like because this movie isn't even that good but the box it came in is just like holy fucking shit <laughs> no wonder i own that but um this movie's very 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 special to me um funny enough uh this was directed by uh ru sung won uh who directed crying fist uh, which is a movie that we did during our sports movie month uh, just last month here on the show um this was the first movie of his that i saw and uh, he has since become my like my personal favorite uh, Korean director. I mean, there's there's the there's the big heavy hitters uh, like the Park Chan Wooks and whatnot, and then there's this guy who, as far as I know, no nobody in the West is terribly up on. Um, but he makes like good, fun mainstream action movies, and uh, this one is just like oozing with style. Uh, there's so much cool shit in this movie, <laughs> especially in terms of cinematography and editing. Uh, there's this there's this one shot that uh, uh, my roommate at the time in college we both saw it and we just like we just like leaned back in the couch and we're just like oh that was fucking awesome <laughs> <laughs> like it's so stupid but it's so awesome where it's a, a it's a bird's eye view of a fight sequence in a it's a knife fight actually like like think like really short knives like two inch blades uh, it's almost like office supply <laughs> knives actually it's at like a it's at like a, a restaurant. Um, so they're like dinner knives and stuff. Uh, so not like like Rambo knives and stuff. Anyway, it's this overhead like bird's eye view shot of like a whole mess of people in a in black suits, uh, like in funeral attire, basically, uh, just like laying into each other with knives. And then there's a bit where everyone in the room stops like mid motion, and the camera adjusts its framing, and then the action resumes. It's it's this weird fourth wall moment where it's like you can tell that wasn't done with effects. Like if the choreography actually just called on the actors to like do like a pause beat in the movements and then the camera like zooms out a bit to better fill the frame and then they just start moving again. Like nothing happened. It's, it's so anarchic and strange and, and like just clever. And the movie is just filled with that. In fact, the soundtrack for this movie uh, is one of my, is one of my favorite scores like of that time of my life of like the the mid 2000s uh, it's um i'm gonna butcher this pronunciation but it's bang jun sok uh who is a frequent collaborator with this director um and somehow he crams like every genre of music you can imagine into this movie like there's a there's a b-boy fight sequence that uh if you look closely in the background some extras are done up to look like the baseball furies from the warriors um because it's that kind of sequence where basically there's like one guy fighting an entire crowd of people and it's all like teenage street gangs and every corner he turns there's a new gang and just for fun they put in the fucking baseball furies <laughs> it's like oh shit um but during that sequence the music is like this loud like electronic pounding techno but then there's like some stuff that sounds like directly out of a spaghetti western with like spanish guitar shit going on um, and it just goes on and on and on where, where there's so many different flavors and tones that the soundtrack takes on. That's It's really creative stuff. And uh, you could tell that this movie was made with a lot of passion and creativity where they just like 
that sounds cool. Let's do it. It's like, is it consistent? Fuck no. <laughs> like, like the tone actually is kind of all over the place where it, um, it has almost like a, uh, like I hate to say, it, but like a Stephen King movie kind of vibe to it. Where it's that thing where where there's a narrative happening in two different timelines, where it's like, uh, it there's a group of friends in high school. One of them gets murdered in adulthood, which brings everybody back to their hometown, and we keep cutting back and forth between high school and today. It's like a warm blanket, Brad. You just slip right into it. This is City of Violence, you said? Yes. I Okay, I'm adding this to my watch list. This is... I was going to add it to my watch list before you said the getting the gang back together thing, but that is like, okay, I got to watch this. That is one of my favorite (laughs) things in movies. I love any movie where it's like we're getting old friends back together again. That is... I'm in. I'm in. I'm picturing a movie directed by Brad where it's just like two and a half hours of people driving around in like a a VW bus picking each other up and then the movie ends without them getting anywhere. (laughs) It's like you literally just watched a band get back together and that was the entire film. (laughs) I'd be down for that. I'd be down. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically those uh, Snickers commercials with, with the Dio song where it's, it's like the Viking and like the, (laughs) like the sumo wrestler and stuff all (laughs) driving around to each other's houses yelling feast. (laughs) (laughs) I forget if those Snickers or not, but uh, those commercials were awesome. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what the... I might not have seen that. I might have to add that to my watch list as well. Um, you, you do. You absolutely do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, City of Violence is fantastic. Um, I don't know if it got uh, reviewed all that well when it came out, but for me, I was I was like 18 or 19. I was starting to realize that like running around and making stupid shit with my friends with the camera was what I what I enjoyed most in life at that time. So this was like perfect because this was literally all the stupid shit that I would do if I had money and, you know, cool people to work with. Um, and yeah, the, the getting the band back together aspect of the movie is really easy to slip into and get swept up in, especially because the um, one of them who was a dick in high school ends up being the bad guy, which is perfect. And he has a jerry curl, which makes him very punchable. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, it needs to be said, uh, um, some of the uh, the most common hit sounds that you'll find used in like YouTube stunt videos and stuff, so like like punch sound effects and stuff, come from this movie. <laughs> mm, really? um, because some some uh, some people online and some like actual stuntmen in Hollywood were kind enough to isolate the sounds and make them readily available to everyone to download. And I've, I I can't not hear them now. Or it's I talked about this on the most recent episode of Catching Up on Cinema, where um, when it comes to like monster noises and stuff, if you if you use like stock monster sounds. I'm going to notice and it's going to make me laugh, especially if it's like from Doom or something. <laughs> it's just like that's, that's so readily identifiable. It's like if you, if I hear any sound effect from GoldenEye, minus 12 points right there because you, you didn't even bother to like pay for a library of sounds to make your feature fucking film. Um, but I will say this much. The hit sounds are fantastic. Uh, juicy, juicy shit. Um, nice. This was also the movie that introduced me to uh, Korean-style choreography, where I have a theory, actually, um, that Korean fight choreography tends to be very gritty, very rough, a lot of contact, like a lot of stuntmen being told, you are going to eat shit, because, <laughs> and, and that's just part of the job. <laughs> it's it's not like, like here where we, we do what's called like stacking, 
where you you measure out the distance between the punch being thrown and the actor's face and you make sure that there's no actual contact and they just turn their head in time to the movement and it's like okay everybody's safe and you can do that as many times as your neck can stand the whiplash um in korea as far as i can tell they just lay into each other and it's just like do it again <laughs> like what I'm, I'm concussed i couldn't quite hear you it's like do it again <laughs> and my theory actually and this is just me talking directly out my ass is that um fighting is common enough at least with men anyway that your your average viewer of these kinds of movies has a basic understanding of what a fight actually looks like and so it's it's a little bit offensive where it's like well that's totally fucking fake <laughs> it's like where it's like if you have a more educated audience in what these things are supposed to look like then it's a lot harder to fool them so if you if you have like some fanciful moves and like flips and wire work and stuff it's in the right context like in a in a you know a korean period film or something yeah sure go nuts that's that's fine no we nobody today remembers what a fucking sword fight looks like go nuts um but if it's like literally just a street fight or something it's like eh, you know they, they do have mandatory military service and stuff and you know, they're pretty tough people like I, I would imagine your average viewer would probably have a pretty good idea of what a fight's supposed to look like um so and so as a consequence the choreography tends to favor just like brutality <laughs> as opposed to like graceful like wuja kind of movements like you'd see in like a crouching tiger hidden dragon or something um but yeah highly recommended brad um i i do know that this got a uh, dragon dynasty release which i, I think that publisher's dead uh, i could be totally wrong but i have not seen a release of theirs in probably a decade um <laughs> uh, so i do know that discs were printed in this country for this film um, but unfortunately I just have, I think a region three DVD of it. So I actually haven't been able to watch this movie since college, mm. uh, cause I no longer have a all region DVD player. Well, such is life, but, uh, it does sound like a, uh, a real good movie. I've, it sounds like something I'd really like. So I'm, it's on my watch list on the letterbox. It's there. Okay. Well, let me know if you get around to it, but, uh, that being said, Brad, uh, ball is to you, sir. What you got? Um, all right. Well, this one, it's, first of all, it's a blind buy. It's a movie I have not watched, haven't even opened, but I feel, maybe I should open it right now. Um, I feel like it, it needs to be mentioned though, because I, what did I say? Criterion is king when it comes to the blind buy. Criterion might be king, but I think Twilight Time might be queen because if you're only buying the twilight time releases that you've seen you're probably not going to buy many twilight time releases let's be honest um but they although i mean i guess to be fair i haven't watched any of their films but from what i know and everything i've heard twilight time is immaculate in terms of their releases picture quality is always outstanding and they're always highlighting you know, some lesser seen, lesser known genre films, whether it's uh, horror, which is a lot of what they put out, There's some sci-fi, some softcore pornography, if that's more your thing. I have not pulled the trigger on any of their softcore pornography releases. They just had a Valentine's Day sale where all their softcore pornography was on sale. I did not buy anything. Maybe I'll get there someday. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> I'm just going to highlight one of their movies. Again, I haven't seen it. I bought Liquid Sky, which... Um, I don't know too much about, but I was kind of looking up, like, best Twilight Time releases, and this one was 
up there very high. A lot of people really um, held this one in high regards in terms of their releases, and it it does seem like a pretty pretty insane, visually stunning movie. Um, I'll just read the plot synopsis on the back here. It says, Margaret is a fashion model with dreams of stardom whose alter ego and rival Jimmy abuses and takes advantage of her to satisfy his rampant drug addiction. Unknown to them, tiny invisible aliens have landed on the roof above the bohemian squalor in which they live and begin killing anyone Margaret has sex with to feed on their pleasure-giving neurotransmitters. All the while, a German scientist attempts to capture and study them. Uh, so, I mean, if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. Um, and th- this is not a softcore pornography release, as much as that might sound like a softcore pornography premise. Uh, to my understanding, this is not so- softcore porn. But, uh, yeah, Twilight Time, um, Real, I just, I've only recently started buying from them. Um, but they do kind of a similar thing with uh, Criterion where their movies only go on sale a couple times a year, which I actually like. I think I've said this before because it's like, you know, when their sales are coming, you can kind of just say, I'm going to stock up in this sale. And with Criterion, a lot of the times I will buy um, several movies that, you know, maybe I'm not 100% sold on, but I'm like, well, the Criterion sale is here. I know I want these two. I'm also going to buy these three because the sale only comes around every six months or whatever. So I got to buy some Criterions now. And it's a good way to get you to spend money on movies that who knows if you'll ever watch. But love the clear cases of Twilight Time. Um, I'm still working on getting it opened. Should have done that before uh, we started recording, but... Oh well, I was. Well, we can get too some busy. of that good uh, ASMR sound. On yeah, the mic. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was too busy going off on Wandavision to uh, open the Liquid Sky Blu-ray. But anyway, uh, yeah, Twilight Time is uh, a pretty great label, and they're uh, you know if you're going to buy from them, odds are you're going to be blind buying at least some stuff. Okay, um, I I think we've talked about them more than a few times on the show. Unfortunately, uh, much like Scorpion, uh, they're not a publisher I own anything from. Uh, we talked about this before, but maybe refresh my memory. Weren't they in danger of closing down? And you said I think they were bailed out or something. Did I say twice? I am so sorry. I, that is embarrassing. Wow. I whew, we might have to restart this whole episode. I'm I'm actually sweating right now. I was. <laughs> I'm that is the most embarrassing. Oh my gosh. I was saying Twilight Time the whole time, wasn't I? I said Twilight you Time. Wow. Wow. That is embarrassing. Vinegar Syndrome. <laughs> oh my God. That's embarrassing. Wow. Oh my gosh. I just lost. <laughs> I just lost my Blu ray respect. That is, that is embarrassing. That is, I've never um, been more embarrassed in my life. To be fair, I'm glad Brad's studio doesn't have any windows because, folks, I think he was just about to jump out of one if it was available. Uh, I'm actually sweating right now. That is that is <laughs> wow. To be fair, they do both have clear cases. I, I'll I'll fall back on that. But yeah, vinegar syndrome is what I meant. Wow, the whole time I barely talked about the movie. I was talking about the damn label the whole time, and I was saying the wrong name. Well, you see, folks, this is why you don't pound three rain energy drinks uh, before you start recording. And um, I, I still got coffee. Let alone do two here. recordings back to back. You see, <laughs> I still got fucking coffee here. <laughs> wow, that is. Anyway, vinegar. It's syndrome. okay, Brad. 
anyway. your your movie nerd credentials have not been revoked. Um, okay. However, there's 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 an agent out on the street, like mean mugging you, and putting a nasty red check mark on your profile. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, mm, I don't know about this guy. <laughs> I gotta, but I, I gotta. I'm glad. I'm glad I asked that question though. <laughs> wow, that was uh, so vinegar syndrome though. Vinegar Syndrome is also a publisher I don't own anything from. Um, but Liquid Sky, I have never even heard of that. Uh, that's fairly rare for me to not even hear of a, a movie. Um, but uh, without knowing anything other than what the back-of-the-box description as you read it, um, it brings to mind Cronenberg uh, shivers a little bit mm-hmm. because of the sex element. Um, and a little movie called Brain Damage um that has a little blue alien fella that uh, he's like a parasite that actually it's kind of weird because brain damage is this like this kind of like niche like sci-fi horror movie that i don't think was very popular at any point i think it got like an arrow release a couple years ago or something but uh i saw it like via like bootleg internet search or something in high school or some shit like via QuickTime file or something but um it's kind of interesting how it uh, actually bears some similarities to like uh, the tom hardy venom movie mm. um in that it's about like an a- alien parasite that attaches itself to a, a fella and it like it forces him to comply with its desires in in kind of like a little shop of horrors type scenario where it uh it gives him like a, a powerful stimulant um, to put him in like a daze so it can like feed on people while he's you know semi-conscious and like kind of tripping out um i i would encourage you to watch that one brad not only open it but like watch it because it sounds kind of interesting i i did finally get it opened uh i mean just just a great great release i mean vinegar syndrome always does it's a, it's a handsome job. package oh my gosh i'm so <laughs> embarrassed that was it's all right brad it's okay (laughs) there's something to live for jesus told me so (laughs) you probably don't do you do you know that quote (laughs) is that is that from something it's from american movie okay (laughs) yeah uh which also put that on your watch list that's one i've been needing to watch for a while you do need to watch it. Um, it's simultaneously inspiring and incredibly depressing. Um, I know that's that's a hell of a one-two punch, but for me, who at some point had ambitions of becoming a filmmaker or something, um, it's a really interesting movie. It's a good, uh, it's a good uh, like one-two punch with like Ed Wood or something. Mm-hmm. It's like I am inspired, but also a little down because these people are losers. <laughs> It's all right. It's okay. There's something to live for. Jesus told me so. <laughs> he has his uncle say that like a hundred times, and he just can't get the words out right. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I've heard great things about that movie. I gotta watch it. Um, real quick, oh, just yeah. let, let me just try and get a little bit of my credibility back here. I just want to throw out there. You know, because you did mention Twilight Time, the whole closing down thing. They did come back, and they've released two releases so far, I think. I think only two. I'm not going to say 100%, because I don't know 100%, but for sure two releases. And uh, just a word of warning to any buyers out there. Twilight Time, their old releases, clear cases, very nice looking. 
these new releases from what I've seen online. I have not purchased these, so again, I, I'm watching what I'm saying here. I don't want to confirm anything and be wrong again. But these new releases, not clear cases, they're coming in blue cases. So they have potentially uh, switched over to blue cases, which I got to say is pretty gross to me. The fact that Twilight Time was clear cases, that was their thing, and now that they have a new owner or whatever, they're going blue. Ouch. I was actually... This might say something about me, that I was like on the fence. Like I was like, I'm, I'm going to buy those new Twilight Time releases just to continue to support the line. When I found out they were no longer in clear cases, I said, not interested. It's not the same. Not It's not the same Twilight Time anymore. Sorry. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, but I mean that that's good for the listeners to be made aware of though, because that that is a pretty big change in aesthetic detail, you know. Yeah. Because the there is something to be said for a clear case. I only have a few on my shelf, but they really do jump out at you. They're nice. They are nice. <laughs> well, I don't think I have. Well, I have some clear DVD cases in front of me here. Um, I might get to those in a second, but. Um, uh, for my next pick here, uh, unfortunately, this is going to be a, a bootleg DVD uh, because that's all I, that was my only option. And uh, like I said, there was a chunk of my life where I did a lot of digging for kind of semi-obscure movies and uh, bootlegs were my best friend because that was unfortunately the only way to get them, especially if you didn't have like an all-region player of some sort. Uh, so this movie is from 1997, which coincidentally is the same year that the first Rush Hour movie came out, and it features an Asian man and a black man doing kung fu fighting across the country. Funny that. <laughs> but uh, this movie is called Drive, and forevermore, I am endlessly frustrated when this movie comes up in conversation. It never does. Uh, <laughs> because people say that movie Drive, and in my mind, I'm like, oh, I know that movie, and then they're they're never talking about this drive. They're talking about the Ryan Gosling drive um, directed by that Danish fella. Um, this movie, uh, part like mostly the reason why I'm bringing it up um, is uh, it's kind of a hidden gem. Uh, it features some like truly outstanding martial arts action for 1997 in particular. Uh, Mark Dacascos has always been a truly stellar martial artist. He's unfortunately a not very good actor and he has apparently a terrible agent or something because he has been put in some of the worst fucking shit imaginable, <laughs> especially in what would have been, I guess, the prime of his career. Um, he's probably most known to audiences in the West. Well, he is American, um, so it, to his own audience, um, as being the chairman on uh, Iron Chef USA. Um, <laughs> he's that guy from that meme that says, Beer! <laughs> the secret ingredient is beer! <laughs> but um, he's always been a truly phenomenal martial artist. It's just, uh, for whatever reason, when he was in his physical prime, just nobody was putting him in the, the movies that he needed to be in, like the, the good shit. And this was one of them, where it's actually a, a decent movie. It's It's kind of funny. Uh, all the martial arts action is really fucking outstanding for its day. Um, it's directed by Steve Wang, um, who is a... Uh, he's directed a lot of American Power Rangers episodes and uh, a couple of movies that are near and dear to my heart, which are not very good, um, but uh, the Guyver movies, the live-action Guyver movies, I think I talked about them before. Where that's the one where Mark Hamill's face is... Half of his face is on the cover, but he's not actually the guy wearing the super suit. Um, 
So Steve Wang has a lot of background um, with martial arts sequences involving people wearing heavy rubber monster suits and stuff. This movie doesn't have any of that, um, but it does have a super-powered dude doing a lot of insane wire tricks and stuff. And um, it's it's a special little movie that actually mostly the reason I wanted to bring it up is the fact that they very recently announced that uh, MVD Entertainment is putting out a Blu-ray of it, um, Region A. Uh, so it'll be, I think, maybe the first time this movie's had like an official physical media release in the U.S. Um, and I'm actually really excited to pick that up because uh, it's been a long time since I watched this movie, but um, it kind of knocked my socks off when I first saw it. I was like, how is this not popular? <laughs> like, like this came out like in the thick of like Jackie Chan fever and stuff. You would expect that people would have flocked to go out to see this movie. It's just I don't think it got very good distribution um, at all. Um, but fun fact, uh, baby Brittany Murphy is in this movie. <laughs> oh, really? Um, it, yeah, in 1997, I don't know that she was doing a whole lot. Maybe she had gotten started on King of the Hill, but other than like Clueless and maybe a few movies in between, I don't think she had done a whole lot by, by then. Um, but yeah, this, this is a movie I'm very much looking forward to picking up in, on Blu-ray, uh, I believe in May. Um, even though uh, MVD seems to specialize in putting out absolute crap, um, I can confirm this movie is not absolute crap. <laughs> so it'll be the first of their discs they'll be acquiring. Yeah, I haven't purchased anything from uh, MVD, but I've kind of been uh, following their releases because, I mean, the, the Rewind collection is fairly new, I want to say, right? Like, I've only been noticing their releases in the last year, I want to say. I don't think they have too many under their belt. Um, at least in terms of the Rewind collection. Yeah, I can't speak for the Rewind collection, but uh, they're a label that I've seen in the past few years. I think uh, Black Eagle was a movie of theirs I actually considered picking up for a minute there because it's a, it's a very early uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Um, back, he actually plays the antagonist in it, which is something he's done maybe. You could probably count on one hand the number of times he's done that in his career, but this was like early, early, early days. And... Uh, I decided I don't think this movie looks good enough to warrant a purchase. I could probably just you. In fact, I did. I, I'm, I'm guilty. I did actually YouTube one of his fight scenes in the movie. Uh, Shokosugi um, plays the main character in it, and the two of them go at it for like a minute, and it's not great. I was like, "Is is that the best you got, Black Eagle? Because if so, <laughs> you don't have my money." <laughs> Yeah, well, this it sounds this drive sounds pretty good. Uh, I'm maybe I will pick it up actually when it does come to Blu-ray through the uh, MVD label. Just to, you know, I'm always down to get a new label in my collection. I'm always down for that. Yeah, and it's apparently the director's cut of the movie, which uh, I believe this bootleg disc I have is that. Um, but as far as I know, the director's cut wasn't readily available most places for a very long time. So I guess you're getting the best version of the movie, but. Uh, maybe look up a trailer or something for it because really, um, Mark Dacascos as a as a physical talent, not so much a like a charismatic actor, um, but just his ability to perform choreography and and fucking move, um, outstanding, uh, really incredible stuff and really ambitious wire work for 1997 in the states. Like this was the kind of stuff that would become popular a few years later after like the Matrix and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. So that would be like 99, 2000, around there. Basically when, you know, all that shit was so in vogue that um, they decided to do nothing but that for like the Charlie's Angels movies to an embarrassing degree. 
Um, but this was years prior to all that. So it's kind of advanced, uh, like Hong Kong style stunt work. Um, but again, a U.S. production. Uh, so yeah, I, I would highly recommend it. I don't know if I would tell you to just like outright shell out the cash for it, but if you can watch it, definitely, definitely check it out if you're looking for a fun '90s martial arts movie. I mean, I'm looking at the, uh, you know, the Blu-ray uh, specs here. I mean, it looks like it's going to be a pretty good release. You got a 4K scan. You've got a making of documentary, audio commentary. You've also got the theatrical cut. If you buy from the MVD website, you get a mini poster. I mean, that's that's a pretty good package. You, I mean, you gotta be pumped for this, man. I, I'm pretty fucking hype, actually. Um, in the next few months, uh, there's there's a few releases I'm pretty fucking hyped for, but this is this is one that snuck up where I just I caught a press release like maybe a week or two ago, and I was like, really? That's unexpected, but I'm all for it. Cool. <laughs> you said what you have now? That's a bootleg DVD. You said. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be like a whole new world for you, man. This is going to be insane. Yeah, yeah. I, maybe I'll have to uh, dispose of, of the bootleg. Like It's like, I'm, I'm not in that business anymore. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like, every time I walk away, they pull me back. Every time I think I'm out. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I did have to go back into that that slippery business uh, for Crying Fist because that movie is not available anywhere. Anywhere. Weird. Like, weird. like I bet I could go to like a bootleg market in South Korea and they'd be like, we don't have Crying Fist. Hmm. I was like, that shit was banned years ago. That's crazy. <laughs> don't, we don't talk about Crying Fist here. <laughs> yeah. that. I mean, although that goes to show, I think, uh, you know, maybe that's a bad example, but, you know, why sometimes it is good to set, like own a movie and that way at least you have it because you know like you never know how hard it's going to be to find in the future how you know it could go out of print and it's not going to be on any streaming services you can't rent it anywhere i mean you'd be surprised at how often it is you like you think with the internet oh you can watch everything online it's like no there's a lot that is tough to find and watch online still so if you can get a physical release of something hold on to it for dear life make make sure you don't let it out of your sight well, not to completely derail the conversation, but it's very topical given that the unfungible business is becoming uh, a thing uh, with like collectors and people with too much money. Essentially, it's like digital information, like like history itself in digital form, can now be purchased. Where it's like, like it's almost like a stock, basically. Where it's like, oh, you know that one Ken Griffey home run where he did a really cool strut. He did that every time. <laughs> it's like every time that gets played back or something. It's like, yeah, I, I gotta collect my interest on that, man. That's that's I I license that. I'm licensing that to you. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the dangers of the digital marketplace. Is yeah, thing things can go missing and they can also be exploited in really nasty ways. Um, but. That's a whole different topic. <laughs> so, so Brad, I, I will pass the baton to you, sir. What is your next blind buy? Well, you know, I was trying to be all cool and classy with my boutique releases, and then I get the fucking name wrong. So we're just going to get out of that, you know, zone. We're just going into... We're doing. We're gonna do a Mill Creek release. <laughs> well, not, no, no, not quite that. This is just a Universal <laughs> Blu-ray. This is nothing fancy. Um, not a boutique label, but the only reason I actually grabbed it and was like, maybe I'll talk about this, is because I just watched it. So I was like, well, at least it's fresh in my memory. It is a blind buy, a movie that I've. I know people who really like this movie, but I feel like 
uh, it's kind of been a little forgotten, surprisingly, because it's got a good cast. And that is, what year is this from? 90, 92, 91? Somewhere in there. It is Sneakers with Robert Redford and Sidney Poitier, uh, River Phoenix, Ben Kingsley, Dan Aykroyd. Really good cast. Now, um, this is a movie that uh, kind of weirdly embarrassing not not embarrassing but i remember i think it was still blockbuster at the time my mom took me to blockbuster and we were looking for a movie to rent and she was like look at this movie sneakers this sounds good and i'd never heard of it and i was like young so i was like that movie's gonna be stupid and boring so we probably rented tremors 3 for the 15th time um (laughs) so i uh, always had that where i was just like i i shut my my mom wanted to watch sneakers and i shut her down i shut her down and i did not watch this with my mom but i did finally get around to watching it and i had a lot of fun with sneakers it is a really fun little caper heist movie the cast is great I mean, some of some of the things, like some of the writing, is a little, you know, not the strongest. Like, there's one moment where um, Robert Redford is meeting with the people that hired him for this job, and Sidney Poitier drives him there, and uh, basically they had to steal this box from a, a mathematician, and Sidney Poitier drops Robert Redford off. Robert Redford goes to meet these people who are supposed to be the NSA, even though they're not the NSA. And while Robert Redford is meeting with these people, uh, Sidney Poitier looks in the backseat of his car and sees the, the today's newspaper that just happens to be folded over onto the article that says, Mathematician Killed in Mysterious Circumstances. And Sidney Poitier goes, oh, that's our guy. Whoa, oh. And he, he like tries to get Robert Redford's attention. Like, you know, some of the writing is a little a little goofy, not great, but it's it's a lot of fun, some good comedy. Um, and I I had a really good time with it. I like, I, apparently I really like heist movies because the second one I talked about today. Um, but I'm kind of surprised that this one just, I don't hear anybody talk about this movie anymore. And um, I, I had a really good time with it. Glad I finally got around to watching it. Mom, I'm sorry I didn't rented at blockbuster that day i wish i had i wish i mean maybe i don't know maybe i wouldn't have liked it when i was that age i don't know but i i wish i had and it's got to be in the top 10 top 15 regrets of my life so <laughs> glad i finally purchased it and watched it <laughs> well mom if you're listening your boy is very sorry <laughs> he's sorry he let you down that day but it was a good movie, so so you were in the right. He was. It wrong, would have been a good blockbuster apologizes. movie night. It would have been a real good blockbuster movie night. But what can you do? Yeah, I I saw sneakers when I I I actually said yes um, to sneakers <laughs> when I was a kid. Although um, I don't think I was asked. It was just a movie that was brought home, and uh, I I think there's there's just it's like coded into our DNA that humans like heists. Like I, I think it's just required that if if you are breathing, you have an interest in heist cinema, mm-hmm. um, because the amount of money generated by heist films internationally is just obscene. I mean, for fuck's sake, like we got what two of those now? You see me movies or whatever they are, the the magic movie, the magic yeah. heist movies. We got two of those, two of them, Brad. <laughs> I don't know a single person who's seen them, and yet they they clean the fuck up twice. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I've seen the first one. I, I will say I saw the first one, but okay. I don't remember anything from it. Yeah, there's just something about that idea of uh, I don't know. These days, 
these days the genre has evolved where it has to be like young insanely sexy people getting getting one over like crusty old people or something um but things like sneakers are are more akin to like a great escape or something where it's Mm -hmm. like men (laughs) it's just like kind of middle-aged not very not very in shape men getting one over the man and it's usually the man (laughs) but um i don't remember the movie at all but i remember my dad was really jazzed about it because he's a dad and it has robert redford and Sidney portier and a lot of and like ben kingsley like a lot of like older guys from his generation yeah in a 90s movie or whatever um so i remember my dad being very jazzed about it and he brought it home and we did watch it it was all over my head i was really young but i, I do remember the end and i do remember Dan Aykroyd wanted a Winnebago. (laughs) I'll never forget that. (laughs) For some reason, that is my only memory of that movie. Is I think it I think it was like Ben Kingsley confronting them or something, and and he's like everybody gets their their demand, and Dan Aykroyd just wants a Winnebago. It was uh, James Earl Jones actually. who, uh, James Earl Jones. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That I and I will say that is one of probably the weaker parts of the movie where everybody just goes through and says what they want, and James Earl Jones just he gets more and more fed up with them as it goes. He's like, "Does anybody else want anything?" And it just it's pretty cheesy, but I mean that's it's you know it's kind of fun. It's just a light little fun movie. It's kind of low stakes in a way, um, and yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. really liked it. No, there, there's I think there's a, a certain flavor of movie that is very important to acknowledge where you're right. It's like low stakes cinema where it's, you can kind of just ease into the couch and only pay attention every once in a while. And, and it still works. And oftentimes it's exactly what you're looking for in that moment where it's like, I want to watch a movie, but I don't really want to be that engaged with the movie, but I I still want to like smile at it every Mm -hmm. once in a while. That's what led to me rewatching my blue heaven, uh, like a month ago. Cause it's like, it's not even that good. Like, like as far as comedies go, it's like Rick Moranis and Steve Martin have both done better. But it's comforting. It's easygoing cinema. Um, but yeah, um, weird question, Brad. But what are your feelings on the uh, the menus for Universal Discs? Boy, I'm trying to think. The menu. Well, actually, this one I can't. I can't even think of a Universal menu because this one just auto played. That's why I can't think of the, the there was no okay. menu. I mean, there's probably a menu if I hit the menu button, but this one just auto played right into the movie. Okay, because it's my understanding that, funny enough, I think Universal Films have a universal menu. Like in terms of aesthetic presentation, it's a it's a blade in the one on the side. It's on the left side of the screen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm I'm not crazy about it. It's not like a I don't really care that much, but yeah, I'm. Not crazy about it. I kind of wish they could be a little more creative than just reusing that same blade. Yeah, yeah. I, I've always had issues with it. I don't know why. Like it, it just doesn't look that great. Um, the menu's kind of clunky. I've actually had some like load issues with it every once in a while. But always, I've always just thought it looked ugly. <laughs> it's yeah. just a weird observation. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> it's funny because like yeah, I, when you said universal menus, it took me a second because I didn't see the menu. There was I didn't see a menu in this one. And I was like, Universal Menus. And then I was like, oh, is it that one with the side? Yeah, that is Universal. So, yeah, I knew exactly what you were talking about pretty much pretty soon right away. Um, yeah, not not a fan. Not a fan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know why that always stuck with me, but it it's a thing. But, hmm. 
I'm not sure what I should go with, Brad. Uh, do you want something bad, something foreign, something old? You have a you have a favorite among those those criteria? Oh, uh, let's go old. I'm always down for something older. Okay, well, this isn't uh like some of like the Hitchcock movie old that you've been watching uh, in recent <laughs> days, as far as I recall. Um, but it's still from the '70s, and it's it's a very very good movie. But it was one that um, was gifted to me from my brother, um, and I didn't even know the title, let alone the description of it. So this was a completely blind buy in some ways, although I didn't buy it. But uh, so this is a DVD of Fat City, uh, starring Stacy Keach and a very young Jeff Bridges and uh, Susan Tyrell. And this was directed by John Houston, who, if memory serves, is uh, Angelica Houston's father. Mm. Uh, I believe he did a lot of westerns and stuff. But uh, this movie is about boxing, um, which, um, as evidenced by our like two and a half hour episode on Crying Fist, uh, is a sport that's important to me. Um, and this was a movie that I think I actually mentioned on that episode that uh, my brother just like gifted to me, I think for like birthday or Christmas or something. And I was like, I don't even know what the fuck this is. But he was like, I was like, it's it's old. Is it good? And he was like, yeah, it, it's supposed to be really good. This is the shit you should actually be watching instead of all that crap you watch all the time. It's <laughs> like, you can't just watch Rocky three, three and four over and over and over again. There are other boxing movies, other much, much better boxing movies. It's like, you know, like on the waterfront and shit. <laughs> still haven't seen that one, by the way. <laughs> still, I'm still, I still have Rocky three and four on repeat. But um, this movie's tremendous. Um, it's a, it's a challenging movie though, because uh, it does involve uh, that really gritty '70s style um, acting and presentation, where it's like these are ugly people being presented in a very unflattering way. Where it's like there, there are very few like good people in this movie. Uh, Jeff Bridges is he plays a it's a it's a boxing story in that like Jeff Bridges is like a young not even prospect fighter that uh, Stacy Keach is playing like a uh, a washed up prize fighter um, who just shows up in the same gym one day and sees a young man who can kind of move and uh, kind of projects himself a little bit onto the young fella and he's like oh yeah you should totally turn pro it's like dude he can't even turn over a hook like like like, are you seriously telling this guy to go like fight professionally when he probably hasn't even sparred yet um but it's it comes at the sport from several different angles where you get to see a young fellow who's way in over his head and and who in fact spoiler alert kind of just like excuses himself from the endeavor because he's just it's not a good fit like getting punched in the face a hundred times in a night or several hundred times in a night uh, is not something everybody is cut out to do. And a uh, very young, very handsome Jeff Bridges is certainly not that, um, even though he he certainly looks athletic in this movie. But Stacey Keach um, and Susan Tyrell are totally fucking shit-faced throughout this entire movie. <laughs> um, it's actually, it gets really ugly and depressing because, like, 80% of the runtime of this movie is the two of them, like, sloppy drunk, just, like, s- screaming and hollering at each other. Um and then eventually he he like gets it in his head that's like oh yeah I still got it it's like dude you are a washed up drunk like literal like fruit picker uh, that probably can't even run around the block without getting winded are you sure you want to do that but he's like yeah I can totally do that <laughs> and uh, I described this on the the crying fist episode but something that always stuck with me is that uh, 
you know, it's fairly customary in a boxing film to have, or, or most athletic dramas in general, to have like the big game at the end or the big fight at the end. And this one has that for sure. Um, but the way they build it up is really fascinating where you get Stacy Keach like, like hyping himself up for this. It's supposed to be his big comeback fight. And then we just get these like brief sequences where we get to see his opponent arriving in town and he's like checked into just like a roach motel. And the first thing he does is like piss his blood, um, which tells you that he's not in a good state physically. More than likely he had a fight not that long ago. So he's all fucked up already before he's even stepped in the ring. And then we keep cutting back before Stacy Keach, like struggling just to train and like, like get his wind back and stuff. And then when they finally do fight, it's like tooth and nail. Like it's like a death match. And it's like, dude, your opponent was half dead getting into the ring and, and, and you're, you're nearly killing yourself just standing there with him. And so it's, it's like supposed to like from his end, it's like, supposed to be like triumphant to some degree and uh the way they film that sequence he he looks like he's dead like like he even when he's getting some headway in the fight like you can tell he's his brain is melted <laughs> like he, he's not even aware if he's doing well or not so it's interesting to see like like kind of a pathetic fight play out but based on the perspective of the participants it's like it's like it's a big deal it's like but for us the audience it's like oh this is just ugly like this probably shouldn't even happen <laughs> but um it's a like i said it's a very challenging film it's not one that i i would come back to readily but uh it's very unique in that it seems much more honest than than most sports dramas in like the the post rocky era and this was in 1971 so that would be five years prior uh so like boxing stories kind of took on a different flavor after rocky gave us like the the feel-good uh story that many other films drew inspiration from yeah i i've heard of this movie before had no idea that it was uh directed by john houston which definitely has me somewhat interested um now it looked like yours was a dvd correct yeah it is a columbia pictures dvd because uh, i'm just uh, looking on blu-ray.com here and just to bring it back full circle this does have a re- release from indicator um, oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> and Connections. Uh, to bring Revolutions. it back even f- more full circle, it also had a release from Twilight Time. So there you go. Um, that is probably because those are limited to three thousand. Because I am talking about Twilight Time, not Vinegar Syndrome. Um, that one you're probably gonna have to pay a pretty penny for now. But uh, yeah, the Indicator uh, release might be of interest to you there. But uh, yeah, it's not, it sounds quite good. Um, yeah, I. I didn't know much about it. I kind of really only knew it by the title, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I, I would like to check that one out for sure. It's definitely a right state of mind kind of movie. Like, um, it has that like Cassavetes kind of feel to it, where it's like, oh, ugly marital marital drama stuff. It's like, hmm, yeah, that sounds like good Sunday afternoon watching with my girlfriend. <laughs> it's like, no, no, you, you got to be in the right frame of mind. It has to be like the right the time has to be just right for you to be in the mood for something like this. Um, but it is quite good. So I would encourage you to check it out if you're inclined. Also, I just got to say Stacy Keach. I mean, what a name, like, does he not have like the best name? Like I love that name. Stacy Keach. It's so good. I, I, not only do I love the name, I love the man. Like mm-hmm. I've always really liked Stacy Keach, whether he's doing his Mike Hammer routine or, um, 
even in what was it uh w uh the oliver stone george w bush movie like he plays like a preacher in there and he he showed the fucker up and he was you know much older in that and on that show titus on fox um that very very short-lived show as far as i understand but he played the dad on it like the grumpy dad and he was fantastic Mm -hmm. um it's odd seeing him in this one though, because he's a uh, he doesn't have his his mustache, because um, it's well known that Stacy Keach has a, a hair lip that I think I think that's part of why he generally always has a mustache. But this is him like clean shaven, and he just looks wrong. It's, <laughs> it has nothing to do with the hair lip. It's just like no, like Stacy Keach's head is, suppo- is supposed to be shaped like a melon, <laughs> supposed to have a really shitty hairline, and he's supposed to have that fucking mustache. <laughs> like that's that's. Stacy Keach. <laughs> yeah. Really awesome voice, too, by the way. Yeah. Uh, apparently, he was in Gotti. Might have to check uh, another reason to check oh, out yeah, Gotti. My, my, my <laughs> <laughs> I actually tried to look up if uh, Judas and the Black Messiah um, was filmed in the, the same place as uh, as Gotti was. And I think it's the same state, but they didn't mention like the same. I couldn't find it a deep enough analysis. Okay. I think it was like Ohio or something. Okay. Okay. You might be onto something, though. I mean, so, so it remains to be seen if the gaudy house is in Judas and the Black Still Messiah. possible. Still possible. <laughs> the oh, fucking God. gaudy house. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for reminding me. I forgot. <laughs> hey, anytime I can mention oh, gaudy on here, I'm, I'm going to mention it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the day that you do a micro review of Gotti. I got to try. I got to do that. In the, the, fan, the Is it the fanatic or the fan? The fanatic, right? Yeah. Or is it the fan? The Travolta one? Yeah. Yeah, that's the fanatic. Get, the, yeah. the fan is uh, Robert De Niro. That's and right. Wesley yeah. Snipes. Yeah. I got to do a double feature of the fanatic and Gotti. I, I got to do it. <laughs> and uh, Speed Kills. Yeah. yeah and yeah. Uh, and Crim- Crimson Rose, though. That's that's the one you got to... In terms of like late era Travolta, Crimson Rose, man. Uh, you get a grossly overweight Brendan Fraser um, as a... Uh, a gay psychiatric hospital like like uh director um you get john travolta wearing a shitty wig because late era john travolta uh putting on like a nolan's accent um as a pi and uh, you get morgan freeman collecting a paycheck it's good times (laughs) (laughs) might have to check it out i might have to check it out yeah you you absolutely do but um that being said brett uh baton is to you sir uh what is your next blind buy all right i'm going to mention uh, another movie that is from a non-boutique label i i'm i'm scared i'm i'm scared to mention boutique labels again i, I i'm st- i'm still shaking over that that was that was traumatic um <laughs> this one let me, let me see who put this out lionsgate put out this blu-ray this is this is the blind buy where you know you kind of you know, anytime you buy a blind buy, you're kind of buying it thinking you're going to like it to some degree. But this is a blind buy where it's like, I have a feeling I'm going to like it. I have a feeling I'm going to want to rewatch it for sure. And that's why I chose to buy it and not rent it because it is a recent movie. And that is the remake of Suspiria. The remake of Suspiria directed by, oh, what's that guy's name? Uh uh, Luca Guadagnino, Luca Guadagnino, um, who I've seen a few of his films and I, I like his work. Uh, of course, you know, this is kind of already, I've already mentioned Argento. I'm a big fan of the original. I had heard great things about this one when it came out and when it came out on Blu-ray, cause it didn't come to theaters anywhere near me. When it came out on Blu-ray, 
I knew I was going to want to watch it. I said, I'm probably going to like it. I'm probably going to want to rewatch it. And I was right because I have already watched this twice, like within the span of a year or two years, which is pretty, pretty good for a movie that's like two and a half hours long. Um, it definitely is a lot different than the uh, original, which I like. It does go into a lot of, uh, you know, kind of. Whereas the first one is very loud and colorful, this one is very drab, and it's a lot more, you know, hushed, I guess you could say. And, you know, it does have uh, some, diff- like, different elements. Like, there's, a lot of, there's like, a lot of uh, political stuff going on here with it taking place. Um, was it in, what decade did it take place in? Uh, yes, yeah, the 70s in Berlin, so there's a lot of, uh, you know, political stuff going on there. Um, if you open a history book, obviously, you know, you can find out about all that. I'm not going to get into it here, but, uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's good. And, and, you know, there's a lot of like the political stuff, but there are still some standout horror sequences. If you're a horror head, like I am the sequence in the room of like mirrors, I guess you would say the, the dance room of mirrors is awesome. It is like grotesque and disturbing. It's great. Um, I don't know. Every t- I've watched it twice now, and I, I have a few issues with it. Like the the one issue that I, I can always remember is the fact that Tilda Swinton plays like three or four different characters. I'm not crazy about it. it's. I just it's very distracting. Like, um, the, there's really only like one male character in the film, and it's played by Tilda Swinton. So I guess the idea is like you know to say that it's like a movie with a nearly entirely female cast. Which is cool in concept, I guess, but I, I just it's so distracting Tilda Swinton playing this old man. I just I don't like it. I I thought maybe on this rewatch I would be into it. I still don't like it. Um but yeah, it's it's a very good movie. You've got a score from my boy Tom York of Radiohead, um, and uh, some great original songs from him as well. It's uh it's good. It's definitely uh, it's it's a ride. It's a ride, and it's a movie that I, I I'd be down to watch it again tonight. Like it's it's something something about it. I don't know if it's the length or something. You all, I always feel like I like it's the thing where I, like I need to rewatch it. I don't really know why, but it's like for some reason it just it's one of those movies where you feel like you have to watch it a few times to really get all that's going on in it. And uh, yeah, I would be I'd watch it again in a heartbeat. I'd I'd be I'd rewatch it tonight. Like I said. Wow, uh, a very high praise for uh, Suspiria as done by uh, I, same directors. Uh, Call me by your name, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, let's let's not get crazy. I think I still gave it. I think it's still a four. I think I, I think both times I gave it a four, um, or maybe I gave it a four point five on this watch. So not a masterpiece. I got some issues with it, but it is. It's still very good. No, it, I've heard really really good things about. It. I mean, it actually is a slightly divisive film. Um, I, I've seen slightly negative reviews um and immensely positive ones um those are the ones i paid the most attention to because mm-hmm. uh, truth be told i think i i'm more enthused about watching that than the original suspiria um and i have had a little bit of the new one spoiled for me unfortunately um not enough to you know warrant me just avoiding watching it altogether. But um, yeah, personally, I'm I'm more excited to check out the new one than the old one. Um, and actually, I, I proposed the idea to Kyle a long time ago to do. Uh, we haven't done one of these in probably two years. Uh, like a, a direct comparison review where we mm-hmm. did a 
the mummy 1999 versus the mummy i think 2017 <laughs> <laughs> uh no contest there yeah and then uh, godzilla 98 versus godzilla 2014 um but i proposed we do suspiria 1970 whatever and this suspiria um because i figured it would be an excuse to just for me anyway to knock out both of them in one fell swoop um kyle was actually surprisingly not terribly enthused about it. i don't think mm-hmm. he's very interested in the new one but um I don't know, maybe I need to give him another poke because that was a long time ago. But, um, yeah, I've heard it's really, really good. Um, I really want to check it out. I'm not going to ask you um, if there's any reason why Tilda Swinton is playing all three of those characters. Like, the, the question that I want to ask is, uh, what's like, is there a connecting thread between all these characters? But uh, that could, you know it wouldn't ruin the movie for me or anything but it's like I already, i've already had a few things spoiled for me i probably shouldn't go seeking out even more yeah there, there's nothing there with in terms of like a, a spoiler plot element i think it's maybe just okay. thematically some sort of i don't i i think you know the movie i could you could say it's a little pretentious it it does it is trying to be a high art horror movie um maybe trying a little too hard and i think that is one of those elements where it's like we're gonna have Tilda Swinton play four characters. Like, how cool is that gonna be? And like, they tried to, like, they tried to hide it from people. I think uh, the the main guy is given a fake name, or the like, the man that she plays is given a fake name in the credits, and they were trying to be kind of cute with it. But it's like everybody pretty quickly knew that. Like, I think before the movie even came out, they figured out it was Tilda Swinton. Um, so I don't know. I, I could see it just be in terms of it being just, you know, like I said, a female empowerment thing where it's like our entire cast essentially is uh, women, which is cool. But I think like I, I can't remember in terms of what that character does, but it's like, could they have just had that character be a woman instead of an old man that Tilda Swinton plays? I don't know. But um, so that's just one one issue I have of it. I mean, it's kind of cool conceptually, but yeah, I just find it distracting. Well, it's I mean, if you're going to pick an actress to do that to wear many hats in one production may as well be her mm-hmm. she, she's kind of a chameleon in that way um has a very distinct look and yet somehow she gives you many different looks it's like that's that's hard to do um but yeah i'm actually really excited to check that out someday i'm not sure when but uh it's long been on my watch list not as long as do the right thing obviously but <laughs> But it's 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 on my radar for sure. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, I mean they're both good in different ways for sure. Yeah, very different ways. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I think this is gonna be my last at bat here. Um, so, hmm. You want something bad? Uh, something foreign? Something animated? Help me out here, Brad. Oh, I mean, let's let's go with something bad. Why not? You asked for. I'm it. curious what it I, could be. I hate you, Brad. <laughs> I hate you, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> so this movie, uh, as far as major studio films go, uh, because I mean, you can see the shelf behind me. There are quite a, it's quite substantial. Many of those are direct-to-video films that have to be judged on a different scale. Than, than like a major studio film uh, because they, they just don't have the resources. There's certain things that they just can't afford to do. Um, 
that's no excuse for you know lack of effort or <laughs> things like that but you know I, I tend to have two different scoring criteria when it comes to like big budget movies and no budget movies uh, so in, as far as big budget movies go I think this one actually takes the title for the worst big studio movie I own um, Ooh. yeah um, yeah this this is this was a it wasn't even a disappointment because I had no expectations, but this was a movie I brought into my home because it was like a buy two, get one free deal. <laughs> and I was like, well, I I have a a very, very specific reason as to why I picked this movie, but I'm, I'm glad it was free because I, I would really hate myself if it wasn't. So um, I'm sorry to drag this out so much, but I'm having fun watching Brad furrow his brow and try to, think, to I, I do like, the math as to what this could possibly be. There, I'm trying to think. Like I feel like there's some it's, big budget movie that you've mentioned a few times and uh, that uh, you've like. It's not American Assassin, Brad. Okay, maybe, it's not maybe American Assassin. <laughs> that that one may have had the belt, like it may have had the the WWF heavyweight belt before this one. Uh, but this one's the new champion. Okay. Uh, this is that was the Raw champion. This is the SmackDown champion, and now the Universal champion. Uh, so to finally cut through all the bullshit, uh, this is criminal. <laughs> <laughs> From 2016, and who the fuck made a- Ariel Vroman? You want to Google them for me, Brad? Because I that is not a familiar name to me. Uh, yeah, this star is, and they have all of their faces, big as life and twice as ugly, although unfortunately uh, he didn't make the front cover. So you can, I'll show it to you again, Brad. So we have <laughs> Kevin Costner, Gary Oldman, Tommy Lee Jones uh, with a really bad Photoshop job to remove all of those wonderful wrinkles because Tommy Lee Jones does not look this young, maybe ever. He probably came out of the womb looking like this. <laughs> uh, Alice Eve and Gal Gadot. Um, in 2016, so that was a uh, maybe a preemptive get because I think that was the same year that Batman vs Superman came out. Um, so she was doing Fast and Furious shit around this time. Um, yeah, this movie is total crap. <laughs> um, the reason why I I selected this one above any of the numerous options I had available to me for my free movie that day um, is that uh, this is listed on Scott Adkins's filmography. And as as you've probably gleaned from our many conversations over the years, Brad, um, Scott Adkins is a it's not even a question. It's like if 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 it's got Adkins, I'm going to put it on my shelf. Um, I have many movies that are actually worse than this on my shelf starring him, <laughs> but at least it was starring him. Scott Adkins's contribution to this film is um, standing next to Gary Oldman and making sure he doesn't fall over because he was probably shit-faced on the set and needed needed a, a sturdy shoulder to lean on between takes. Um, he he speaks some dialogue. He gets to speak in his uh, natural English accent, um, which is rare, actually. Um, I don't think he throws a single punch in anger, uh, nor does he ever discharge a firearm. Uh, he gets to point some guns at people, I think. But mostly he's just there to look handsome and make sure Gary Gary Oldman doesn't face plant um, in between scenes. Um, but the basic premise of this movie is that it's like a, a, a memory transfer, uh, it's like semi, like pseudo sci-fi concept where Ryan Reynolds is in this movie, by the way. Um, 
and he's like a secret agent that dies on the job and they need to take his brain and put it into Kevin Costner who is a like life like a life imprisoned convict um so Kevin Costner is a mean person no that that's terrible casting like Kevin Costner plays boring people and tired people but never 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 like evil angry violent people like like he plays like pricks he does that well but but he's never like an aggressive like tough guy um and yeah so we get ryan reynolds in like the first 20 minutes he he dies um and he was married to gal gadot um so kevin costner shows up at her house and he's like hey i think i'm your husband (laughs) and she's like no way you look totally different from my husband but i think i love you anyway um but it's just it's meandering um it's bloated the action is kind of anemic um it's just kind of a crap movie um and i'm i'm glad i'm glad i didn't pay anything for it it's kind of cool that i have another scott adkins blu-ray to put on my shelf like i said his name's not on the cover nor is his face on the cover which kind of sucks he didn't do anything in the movie which double sucks <laughs> um but i have it and it was a blind fucking buy because <laughs> i i think i saw like a teaser trailer not even a full trailer like a television commercial for it when it was coming out Mm -hmm. um but other than that i didn't know anything about it i think i saw like a frame of scott adkins in that teaser or something and i was like sold (laughs) it's kind of like the brothers grim which i haven't seen but i know scott adkins like plays one of the heavies in the movie Mm -hmm. and i'm like i will i will watch the brothers grim someday (laughs) i will do it um not today but maybe hmm, i should have checked if they had that instead of criminal (laughs) missed opportunity (laughs) yeah well i I looked up uh this director ariel roman um he also directed a movie in 2012 called the ice man with michael uh oh what's michael Shannon. shannon i was gonna say michael keaton i knew that wasn't right i gotta watch i gotta watch what i say i'm on thin ice michael shannon um, and then in 20, in 2018, he directed a Netflix original movie, uh, called, uh, the angel and starring your boy, your boy, Toby Kebbell, who, uh, <laughs> fuck. Oh man, man, like this Ariel Froman guy, like he had a good one in 2012 and now you're working with Kebbell. I told you, I told you there's like, there's like a f- formula where if Toby Kebbell's in there, you, you, it, it's a dice roll, man. Like, like, like you gotta, you gotta be wary. Your, your production could go to shit on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he does have a movie in development with Ice Cube and Ice Cube's son O'Shea Jackson Jr. So that could be, that could be big. Um, but yeah, that's that's all he's been up to. So, well, it sounds sounds like he's uh, maybe he hasn't struck out, but he's he's probably pretty close he's he's got a couple of foul balls there yeah. <laughs> for sure he'll be directing episodes of the blacklist in seven years don't worry that shit's still going i i i, I think so i have no idea <laughs> well see for me i probably would have said ncis or something because because i just assume that's what television is these days it's just like oh it's just every channel shows ncis like that's tv but um i haven't seen it but i have actually heard the hit the Iceman is Maybe it's just because it's a good story, mm-hmm. um, but I've heard mostly good things about it, and I've heard Michael Shannon's very good in it. Because, for fuck's sake, it's Michael Shannon. <laughs> yeah, as a, as a hitman, as a as a heartless hitman. Yeah, that's kind of pitch perfect casting. Jesus. I remember wanting to watch that when it came out, but never got around to it. 
yeah i i had the same feeling but didn't get around to it but uh yeah criminal criminal is ass uh, i don't say that lightly like i i tend to find reasons to like most movies but this one's just like it has very little to offer anyone well i mean you know although um i was just gonna say um kevin costner trying to order like a coffee at a french cafe was kind of funny because uh, he, he's like complete yeah, it's he's supposed to be he has he's supposed to be afflicted with some sort of neurological disorder where he behaves he has like zero empathy and he he acts purely on id. So it's just like if you if he wants food, he puts food in his face mm. and like mm-hmm. if he's angry, then he just flips the fuck out and um so he doesn't have any concept of like social norms and and he's in a foreign environment. <laughs> so it's just him just like being the ugliest ugly american you can imagine in a cafe and it's actually kind of funny but yeah. uh yeah. the rest of the movie sucks <laughs> hey well i mean that's the danger of the blind buy sometimes you know all all episode we were highlighting the good sometimes you get something like criminal so <laughs> yeah i i mean i i I was trying to give myself an out, but you picked bad, and I was like, you know, I gotta, I gotta follow through. I gotta comply. So we're gonna talk some bad. And yeah, <laughs> criminal is exactly that. Um, yeah. But how you feeling, Brad? I think I'm about tapped out. But do you want to go another round? I think uh, that's a good one to end on, criminal. I, I, I can't top that. <laughs> end with the king of crap. Yeah. Very, yes. very cool. Um, but yeah, uh, this was our tales from the shelf. Uh blind buys episode um so thanks for joining us for that but before we go uh brad do you want to let the folks at home know where they can find you in your podcast yeah sure uh cinema speak podcast is the name of my show uh you can search for us anywhere you listen to podcasts we're on twitter at the cinema speak on instagram it's cinema speak podcast or um you can follow look us up online cinemaspeak.libson.com very nice I'm always going to shower you with praise because, as evidenced by the last time we did this, um, it's not always easy. Uh, <laughs> I, I fucked up pretty bad. But, uh, here goes for for this round's uh, blurb about our show. So uh, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, uh, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, we also have a couple of social media accounts in the form of an Instagram, at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as a Twitter, at Catching Cinema. Uh, and we are available on pretty much any podcasting platform you can imagine, so fucking Google it. Uh, that being said, though, uh, thank you, Brad, for joining me, and thank you folks at home for listening, and uh, we will catch you next time. Bye.